Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page, where you get to sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and listen to me think with my mouth open. Today begins a series of devotionals with Christmas as a theme. I'm going to be attacking this subject from a lot of different angles. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope you get something from it. Greetings and salutations. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving season. Thank you for your uh, uh, patience for me not doing devotionals after I hurt my knee. Uh, Just a short report, my knee is still hurt. Still got a huge knot on it, starting to bruise up rather nicely. Uh, It'll be a matter of weeks or more before this thing gets finally taken care of. But I'm getting around. And I had some flu shot. I had a flu shot and a COVID booster shot. And that uh, uh, knocked me out yesterday. But I'm back. Coffee, the Bible, and page. We are going to be talking about Christmas. Jesus and Christmas. And I've got a few things mapped out. And there's going to be some other things that will come along, I suppose. Um probably looking at that picture of Charlie Brown, wondering why I have that there. Basic reason, Charlie Brown's Christmas is my favorite Christmas show of all time. He is looking for the true meaning of Christmas. And uh, it's just it's just one of those things that I watch every year about this time. Christmas means something different to lots of folks. If you're a person of faith, particularly Christian faith, uh, it's very Christ-centric as a holiday. If you're not a person of faith, it's more about as continuation of Thanksgiving in the sense that there's we're thankful, you give gifts, you make special efforts to show those that you love that you love them through gifts and time spent with them over the holidays. Um, Christmas can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. By the time we're done with this series, before Christmas, you'll know exactly my thoughts about Christmas. Of course, I fall down on the side of Christmas is a uh, Christ-based holiday. It is in my house. And we do things a little different because of that. Um, We have Christmas trees. We have ornaments. We have lights. And our grandchildren get to have the experience of coming down the staircase on Christmas morning with all the lights in the house out except for the lights on the tree, seeing the Christmas stockings hung by the chimney with care, seeing the presents under the tree. We do all of that. And it was a magical time for me as a child, and I'm grateful that we're able and my children are able to create that for their children. So I'm not... Uh, a bugaboo about having a Christmas tree. Uh, I'm not a Grinch about the gift giving. I'm not a Grinch about the uh, a lot of the trappings of Christmas. Christ is central. Now, there's two ways of approaching Christmas. And I guess I would, I think I would attribute this to Martin Luther or to John Calvin, two early fathers of the Christian faith. John Calvin would say, if the Bible does not specifically 
uh, approve or say something's okay, then let's not do it. Martin Luther would say, if the Bible does not specifically forbid something, it's a matter of conscience. And we should extend grace to those who think differently than us. Now, that would make Martin Luther a little bit easier to get along with John Calvin, and from what I've read, that would probably be the case. John Calvin uh, was a harsh individual in many, 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 many ways. But there's two ways of approaching that. And if you apply that to Christmas, it would be, uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says specifically that Christmas trees are okay, so let's not have any Christmas trees, because the Bible does not okay Christmas trees, specifically. Um, there would be some that would say that the Bible doesn't specifically forbid Christmas trees. So it's okay to have one if you want. And I'm totally aware that the evolution of the Christmas holiday has moved from Jesus being central to this St. Nicholas Santa Claus character that we have had fun with growing up. I have a story about that. Uh, like I said, Christmas was a magical time in my house. I grew up in Alaska. And we had a tradition in our family where on Christmas Eve, my brother and I would exchange a gift and my mom and dad would, would exchange a gift. And my mom bought my dad a shotgun. My dad was a competitive trap shooter. And uh, she bought him, I think it was called a Kriegoff. It's a German Merry Christmas, Henry. How are you? It was a German shotgun with very fancy uh, carving on the stock and filigree and the metal. It was it was a beautiful gun. And Dad stepped out on the front porch, and it was a hallmark Christmas night. Fat, fluffy clouds scudding across the sky. Big, fat, fluffy snowflakes drifting down, the moon peeking out from behind a cloud. And he fired that shotgun into the air. And he comes back in the house and says, boys, I have some good news and I have some bad news. We said, well, what's the bad news? He said, Christmas is going to be late this year. And we went, what's the good news? We have venison for dinner. And of course, me and my little brother, we were very young. We thought, he shot Rudolph. But then, because my mom and dad are positive people and they taught us to be that way, we decided we were going to put on our winter clothes and go out and look for the carcass so we could find his blinking red nose because how cool would that be on show and tell after Christmas was over when we went back to school to have the blinking red nose of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Of course, we didn't find it. But that's the kind of family I grew up in. And uh, Christmas has always been a time of laughter, of food, of meals. And I hope it, this season's going to be that for you. What I'm going to be doing in this series of devotionals is I'm going to start back at the beginning. That's a good place to begin, right? At the beginning. And today, we're going to look at Matthew's genealogy. Now, there are two genealogies listed in the Gospels, one by Matthew and one by Luke, and they're different. We're going to find out why they're different, and we're going to look at the genealogy. And even though it's just a long list of names, there's a lot in those names. And there's a lot in there that tells us a lot about God's plan for mankind 
and his plan for us and his plan for Jesus. So let's get started. And yes, I'm going to read the entire genealogy. So stand by. All right, here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abiah. Abiah, Abijah? Hmm. Not all these names are good to pronounce. Abiah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel. Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all. From Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. A couple things right off the bat. That last statement, verse 17, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Matthew was a very meticulous record keeper. I don't know if you've watched the, uh, um, the movie series, the chosen, but uh, they've depicted Matthew as being a little bit on the autistic spectrum, but being a very uh, focused, detail-oriented person. And you see that in his gospel. Matthew's gospel details quite accurately Jesus, the speeches of Jesus, and he is. And it would make sense here that he would be very exact in his listing of the uh, genealogy. Now, there, it was customary sometimes to expand or contract genealogies to meet certain needs. I, you know, there, there, may be, there were probably more than 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile, and 14 from the exile to Messiah. But he listed 14 here. And I haven't researched it to the level to find out if all these names follow exactly on the heel of the other names. There, there's some literary leniency in dealing with with uh, genealogies 
that Matthew might have been making use of in order to come with 14, 14, and 14. Um, seven is the number of completion uh, in Jerusalem, in uh, Israel's uh, religious thinking. So 14 is a multiple of seven, so that could be something to consider. But, uh, so there's that. But you notice I've highlighted some names here. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, Jeconiah, and Mary. Couple things to think about here. First of all, Rahab and Ruth were Gentiles. There are Gentiles in the bloodline of Jesus. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Mary, these were women of questionable moral character. And I included Mary in that list, and we'll we'll cover that in a little bit of detail a little bit later on. But these were women who were of questionable moral character. Jesus, the first thing you pull out of these lists of names is that Jesus' ancestry wasn't all golden. Um, Rahab, she was uh, an innkeeper. And many feel that she was also, she ran a house of ill repute and that uh, she um, wouldn't be the kind of lady that you'd expect to see in church on a Sunday. I'll just leave it at that because i got some younger listeners here. But she was, uh, and then there was uh, Tamar. Tamar, um, she was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Now Judah, those name means praise, worship. He wasn't a prince. Uh, her, Tamar's husband, one of Judah's son, had died. And he had promised her that he would give her in marriage to one of his other sons. And he didn't follow through with that. Uh, she wanted to have children because every mother wants a son. And that's very important in that culture at that time. And he would not give her away to one of his sons because she was a Gentile. She was not of Jewish extraction. I have to go double check on that. I'm pretty sure that's true. But anyway, she tricked Judah into becoming the father of her children. So she was also a very sly and deceptive woman. Rahab, now if you remember the story about Rahab, her story is connected to, uh, if you if you look at Rahab, you'll find out she was very big part of uh, Joshua's story in the conquering of Jericho. She became a hero to the faith because she helped the spies in the conquering of Jericho. Ruth, we know her. She was a Moabitess. She was a... Um, uh, she she was a Gentile, and she lost her husband, who had been Jewish, and she came back and met Boaz, who ended up marrying her. And Boaz and Ruth had Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Now, Bathsheba. David, hero of Jewish history, Greatest king of Israel. 
was also not a prince of a guy. He was a man of violence, and he had a wandering eye. And he had lots of wives, and he took the wife of Uriah to become his wife. Her name was Bathsheba. And David and Bathsheba had Solomon. So again, Bathsheba was a woman of questionable moral character. Now the next name I have down here is Jeconiah. Saving him for last. Don't forget, I'll come back to him. The last woman in this list is Mary. Now why would I say she was a woman of questionable moral values? Hmm. Well, she herself wasn't. We all know the story. The angel appeared, told her that God had found her she God had found her worthy of becoming the mother of our Savior, and she accepted that. Um, but the perception of the world was that Mary was not a good woman. She had not been with her husband Joseph. She had not been with any man. And when God the Father impregnated her with Jesus, there was no earthly father. But who in the world's going to believe that? So the reputation she was soon saddled with was that of an adulteress, someone who was unfaithful to her husband. So the other thing to bring into consideration here is that usually women aren't mentioned in, gene in Jewish genealogies. At least that's my understanding. And so these women played a very big part in the genealogy to bring Jesus into the world. And it's amazing how God pulls all these things from different parts of the world together. These Gentile women, Rahab, Ruth, uh, being Gentiles, being... They had to be there in order for this genealogy to fall in place. Kind of amazing to me. Now, Jeconiah, I promised about Jeconiah. Jeconiah, he was a king. Wicked king. Wicked, 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 wicked king. Uh, I wrote down here, Jesus' royal lineage therefore includes men and women, Jews and Gentiles, adulterers, prostitutes, and heroes. Jesus is the Messiah who saves all. Interesting factoid. After the return of Israel from exile, the Babylonian exile, the Davidic line continues through Jeconiah. Apparently, Jeconiah died in Babylon during the exile. He was a wicked king, and his evil was so great that Jeremiah's blistering prophecy declared that none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. So how can Jesus be Messiah if he is descended from this king over whom the prophet Jeremiah said, none of Jeconiah's offspring will sit on the throne of David. Hmm. We'll answer that in tomorrow's, ep tomorrow's episode. But you can look at all these people, Mary, Jeconiah, Bathsheba, Ruth, Rahab, Tamar, 
and all these others. There's uh, Judah was not a nice man. Um, Abraham wasn't a prince. Um, David wasn't. There's good kings, there's wicked kings. And they're all part of the genealogy of Jesus. His royal lineage, therefore, includes men and women, Jews and Gentiles, adulterers, prostitutes, and heroes. Jesus is the Messiah who saves all. The stage is set for what is about to come, the birth of Messiah. And he is uniquely qualified to represent all of us. He isn't just a Jewish Messiah. At one point in his ministry, he said, I have other sheep. I have to go get. He's talking about Gentiles. There's always been room at God's table for Gentiles and Jews. And Jesus' lineage reflects that. He has common blood. He has royal blood. He has the blood of wicked kings. He has the blood of gloriously good kings in his veins. He represents all of us. And that is where I'm going to leave today. This is the beginning. Jesus' royal lineage. Now, oh, one last thought. This lineage ends up with the father of Joseph. So Joseph has a lineage that goes all the way back to David. Joseph being the head of the household gives Jesus the legal right to claim a connection with David, the king, through the lineage. But what about that Jeconiah thing? Hmm. We'll answer that tomorrow. Because even though the curse was laid on Jeconiah that none of his descendants would sit on the throne of David, Jesus is a descendant. This is going to be kind of cool. But I'm going to save that for tomorrow. All right. Welcome to uh, Coffee, Bible, and Pages Christmas season. I'll see you tomorrow. We're going to look at the other lineage, the one we find in Luke, and we're going to talk about that and compare that one with this one. All right. I'm Mr. G, and I'm out of here.